Good morning. How is everyone doing? When we think about that last song, that God is not finished with what he's doing, that greater things are yet to come, we're in this series called Unstoppable. If you could turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, and we see the church was like that, that God was doing incredible things. And when Jesus left, he told them, he said, you're going to do greater things than I did. You're going to do greater things, that they would become unstoppable. And the first century church was unstoppable, not because they had buildings. They didn't have any, right? They didn't have any buildings. They weren't unstoppable because they had all this political clout. They didn't have any. They weren't unstoppable because of the resources and money. They didn't have any. They weren't unstoppable because they had all the training materials that they had. They didn't have any. They were unstoppable because what they did have. They had the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who was empowering them with boldness. And he was giving the apostles the ability to do the miraculous. And he was drawing attention to the, the, the Jesus' message where many people, thousands, were coming to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now we have 20 centuries later, today, we have buildings, we have property, we have resources, we have political influences. It comes and goes many times, but do we have the Holy Spirit? It isn't either or, is it? We have these beautiful buildings as churches, but we must have the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we just have buildings and not an unstoppable force, right? And that's what we don't want. We want to have the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 5. We left off last week where many thousands are coming to know Jesus as Savior. It's 3,000 and then 5,000, the Bible tells us. And miracles are being performed. And, and one time when a miracles were being performed, two of the apostles were thrown into jail. It was Peter and John, and, and uh, they were released and told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And then they, 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 the Bible says they prayed for boldness. They had boldness. They continued to preach in the name of Jesus. And then we looked at last week, the Acts chapter 4, the beginning of it. And Barnabas and others gave to meet the needs of the church. Then in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira tried to do the same thing. But in the process, the Bible tells us, they lied to the Holy Spirit because they tried to promote themselves instead of God and his work. And as a result, their lives ended abruptly. Their lives ended, right? And, and, and the fear went through the whole church, the Bible says. It was struck with fear. And God was sending a message. For the church to be unstoppable, the church has to be pure. We have to have purity in the church. And we look at this, we see God was saying, don't play games with me. God was serious. Don't play games with me. I expect you to worship me. I expect you to obey and to be pure. And at the very end of that solemn story, Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, and the people fearing God, the next verse is verse 12. And it's a wonderful story, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Let's read the first verse. It says, The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. So there is this Solomon's colonnade. It's a place where it had two columns. It had kind of a roof on top, and sometimes it's called Solomon's colonnade. Sometimes it's called Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. And what would happen is, is the rabbis would meet in there, and others would meet in there to teach, and people would listen. What was happening at this time, the apostles were meeting in Solomon's colonnade, and people came to hear them speak, and many people were putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Many were coming to faith. It goes on in verse 13. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. When it, when it says no one else, it's kind of an ambiguous there in the original language and also in the English, English language. Who are the no one else? 
Who are they? Who are they talking about here? It could be those who are not disciples yet, where it says, and they did not dare to join them. But that seems to be in conflict with the very next verse because it says more and more people came to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they joined the group we see there. So I think that no one else refers to many of the disciples. The 3,000, and then you had the 5,000 that came to Christ, but they hadn't dared to join the rest of them is what it's saying. They are believers, but they're not involved in ministry is what we see, is what we talk about. They're kind of sitting on sidelines. They're kind of sitting in the bleachers. We'll say, this is like the bleachers. They're sitting in the bleachers right now. The Bible says they had not joined the rest of them, but it says, uh, but they regarded them very highly, and they were kind of cheering them on. They were cheering them on. Now, is it a bad place to be in and sitting in the bleachers back there? Not really. You have a front seat of what God is doing, front row seat of what God is doing. You're seeing him do it. You see the action. Not the best place to be in, but it's not a bad place to be in, right? They know Jesus Christ, their Savior. Uh, they have eternity sealed through Christ. They have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. We're going to come back to those people in the bleacher at the end of the message, toward the end of the message. But let's look what's happening right now in this passage. The apostles are performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And you find in the in the early chapter of the book of Acts, that's happening. Toward the end of the book of Acts, that kind of tapers off. You get to the near what is called the apostolic age, where you kind of see the, the apostles are beginning to die around A.D. 59 to 60 A.D. And it's what they call the end of the apostolic age. So where God, through the Holy Spirit, gave these men power, gave these apostles the power, the ability to do signs, wonders, and miracles to kind of touch people and pray for them. So those people who could not see now could see. Those people who could not walk now could walk. And the primary reason, I believe, for that, they were called the sign gifts. And there are signs that point to the Savior. That's what they were doing. Signs that point to Jesus. And at the time of Jesus, one historian said there were 61 people who claimed to be the Messiah. So what made Jesus different from the other 60? It was his miracles, right? It was the miracles Jesus did. How many of those people could raise Lazarus from the dead? None of them could. So it was his miracles. It was his teaching. It was his death on the cross. And finally, it was his resurrection from the dead. The same is true of the, uh, these apostles. They are preaching and teaching, but so are a lot of other people preaching and teaching, all claiming to have a truth. They all claim, just like we do today. But they don't have the Bible like we do today to kind of look at what's the truth from error. Somebody says something today, we can go back to the Scriptures and we can look at the Word of God and find out what were they saying? Was it right? Was it wrong? We can, we can discover that. They didn't have that. So God gave the apostles the ability to do the miraculous, do signs, wonders, and miracles, to draw attention to who they were and to the message they were saying. So God gave these signs, wonders, and miracles to kind of authenticate the messenger and the message. So people would take notice and they would be set apart from all the other people and say, these people are different. These men are different from all the others. Look what they're doing. They must be from God. We must listen to their message. And that's exactly what God wanted. To authenticate the message and the messenger, to rise them up above everyone else so what everyone would look at them and listen to what they were saying. Let's look at verse 14 through 16. Look what was happening during that time. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats that at least, the, least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. 
Can you imagine as this word spread throughout the towns around Jerusalem, people are hearing about the healing that's taking place all around them. And they're hearing that people are really genuinely being healed. Can you imagine if you're a parent and you have a child that can't hear? They're four years old, they can't hear. And you say, boy, we really like our child to hear our voice for the very first time. And you think, boy, I hear what's going on. Let's go to Jerusalem. You wouldn't even have to pray about that, right? If you have a child like that, you know they're healing. You take them right away. Or maybe if your mother fell down and she broke her hip, they didn't have hospitals like we do today. And you heard that she could be healed by just, you'd get her there any way you could to get fine healing. That just Peter's shadow would cast upon her just to heal her. You'd do whatever you had to do, right, to do that. That's what they were doing right then. Their church then and their church now must be interested in the physical needs of people as well as the spiritual needs. Meeting the physical needs oftentimes gives us the platform to reach those spiritual needs, right? The needs that only God can meet. See, we don't heal today. We don't raise people from the dead. God does that sometimes, and he can do that, amen? God can do that. We don't do that. But we can take care of physical needs. We can help feed people, and God will do the miraculous. God does the miraculous, but he doesn't need us to do that. God can do that on his own. All this was happening, and God was using the apostles, and the church was growing, and everything's great. People are being healed. Uh, people are being healed from demon possession. All these kind of things were happening. People's lives were changed. So everybody's happy about that, right? Well, not quite everyone is happy, except the high priest and all of his associates. They're not happy what's going on. He is the high priest over the Sanhedrin, the Bible tells us, sometimes called the council. It's a group of 71 people of the rulers of that time. And the Roman government has given this religious body a lot of authority. We found that through the trials and crucifixion of Jesus. This religious, they ruled, this group ruled. They had their system. Of this group, the high priest was from a religious party called the Sadducees. You've heard about them, right? Sadducees. They were wealthy. They were powerful. They had their own belief system. They believed in the law at the same time. They didn't believe in the miraculous. They didn't believe in the supernatural. So all this stuff going on wasn't part of their belief system. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Okay, I just wonder if you guys got that. Thought I had to throw that in there. You've heard that right before. So they're kind of sad, the Sadducees. They didn't like that. So this high priest guy is, he's angry. He's upset what is going on. Listen to what he says at verse 17. Then the high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Jealousy over what? What were they jealous over? I don't think it was jealous because the apostles were healing people and they didn't. They denied all that. They didn't believe in that. So I think they were upset and jealous because all the people's attention was going toward the apostles and what they were doing. And it wasn't coming toward them. And it was messing up their belief system. I think they was also jealous because they lost control. They were no longer controlling the people. And they wanted to end this. And they thought they ended it when they crucified Jesus, but it didn't. Jesus came forth from the grave and now he has all these followers. So look what happens in verse 18. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail the Bible says. When it says the apostles, it probably referring to all 12 of them. They arrested all the apostles, all 12. Now, this wouldn't be the first time that some of the apostles were arrested, right? Peter and John were arrested before. But notice in the very next verse, they're not going to be in there very long. Look what it says in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. An angel of the Lord came in the middle of the night and set them free. And he tells them in verse 20, he tells them this, go Stand in the temple courts, he said, 
and tell the people the full message of this new life. Tell them about the new life in Jesus is what they told them. And if you hit Peter, you got to be scratching your head and say, wait a minute. All this got started is me going to the temple one day at three o'clock in the afternoon. Me and John went there to go pray. And there's this man there at the gate that's crippled. And he's asking me for money. And I said, silver and gold I do not have. What I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And ever since that, I haven't had trouble ever since. Ever since that, I preached and 3,000 came to the Lord. I preached and 5,000 came to the Lord. And now an angel of the Lord from God is telling me, go back to the temple, preach in the name of Jesus, and tell them about this new life in Christ. Aren't you glad there's not a verse in the Bible that kind of says, and Peter thought about this, he considered what the angel said, he committed it to prayer, and then he decided to go. Aren't you glad that they went directly there? We don't find him. He prayed about it. He did exactly what the angel said. He went right in that epicenter of trouble where all of it was, and he preached in the name of Jesus. No matter what was going to happen to him, he obeyed God and did exactly what God wanted him to do. Didn't he have to pray about it? May we be the same. Maybe look what God has called us to do. Said, oh God, I got many times. Let me commit it to prayer and then I'll decide if I should go. We've been commanded by God to do that, to share the name of Jesus wherever we go. May we do the same. The next morning, the high priests are gathering all the Sanhedrin together. They're gathering the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the rulers and nobles of the city of Jerusalem. These are the big shots. 71 of them come to a group and they're going to decide what to do with these disciples when they get them out of jail. But they're not in the jail, are they? We know they're not in the jail. We found that out. The irony is ripping from this passage of Scripture. They're, 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 the big shots are going to go there, but the Holy Spirit has already, the angel of the Lord has already messed up their plans, right? Look what it says in verse 21 and 22. At daybreak, they, meaning the apostles, entered the temple courts as they had been told, began to teach the people. So the apostles are in the temple court preaching, proclaiming Jesus, new life in Christ, and then it says, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. Verse 22. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. So officers were sent to the prisoners. The officers came back and basic would say, we went to the prison. The prison uh, door was locked. The guards were there but there were no prisoners there. There was no prisoners to be found anywhere there. And look what it says, the scripture said in verse 24. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come over all of this. They were puzzled. Some translation says they were greatly perplexed. They were puzzled or greatly perplexed means they're, they're at a loss. They're trying to control all this, but they can't control it. So the end of verse 24 kind of tells us what's going on. It says, wondering, there's wondering what would come of all this. It's hard to understand this, these leaders. They don't believe in the miraculous, yet they've observed all that has happened. And it's been miraculous what has happened around them. And they should be puzzled. But they should be asking a different question than what's going to come of all this. They should be asking, how did all this happen? How is all this happening right now? How is people who have never could see now see? How could people who could never hear now hear? How could people who have never walked now walk? How could people who have been put in jail and locked the door on the jail cell and guards around them and we go back and they're no longer there? How could this be happening? They should be asking that, but the Bible said they're puzzled. 
and they're not asking the right questions. When things happen in our own lives that don't make sense, that should cause us to ask the questions that would challenge our thought process, not keep thinking the same thing. When reality doesn't match what we're thinking, we need to challenge our thinking. If things are happening that we can't explain, we don't keep thinking the same way, but we need to challenge us. Why is this happening? What is happening here? What is going on here? We need to ask the hard questions. Instead, they were asking, what will come of all this? They're still trying to manage all of it. They're, they're still trying to regulate Jesus. They're trying to regulate the disciples and silence them, but it's not working. So they ask, what's going to come of all this? Then somebody comes in and tells them, those guys that were in prison, they're down there at the temple and they're preaching in the name of Jesus. These guys got to be really upset. So they plot, they got to bring them in again. They're going to arrest them. But they've got to be careful because thousands are coming to Jesus right now and they're believing these guys. And they're believing these guys are from God. And so they're following these guys. So they have to be careful. Otherwise, these people will turn on those religious leaders, drag them out in the street, and stone them. So they're afraid of the people. They got to be very careful. So they discreetly kind of arrest the disciples, the apostles, and the high priest now is going to challenge them. And he's pretty upset with them right now. And he brings them in. He's not happy. And he says in verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You read this and you notice that this high priest won't even mention the name of Jesus. You notice that? He won't even say his name. He hates Jesus that much. You can tell he's just gripping with hate toward Jesus because he can't control him. He doesn't fit into their system. They don't know how to put Jesus in that box and he just doesn't like him. So Peter and the apostles were brought in and called out again. And they said, we told you not to preach in the name of Jesus. And now you've done it again. You've done it again. So how is Peter and the apostles going to respond? Well, it tells us in the text in verses 29 through 32. So Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This was probably done with a lot of respect. It was shared in a respectful way, but the high priest could not have been happy with a number of things he heard. First, when they said, we have to obey God rather than men, the high priest is thinking to himself, what are you talking about? God speaks to me. I'm God's man. If God's going to talk, he's going to talk through me. So what are you talking about? We have to listen to God. You've got to listen to me. And then he says, we're going to have to preach in the name of Jesus, even though you tell us not to preach in the name. Right now, the high priest on the anger scale between 1 and 10, his anger is about 11 right now. He's, he's upset, but it's going to go higher. Listen to what also it says. When Peter says, Jesus, and who you had killed by hanging him on a tree— so the high priest anger scale is about a 13 to 15 right now. He is furious what they're saying. They're all angry. All those, that whole council's angry. Then Peter says this. This is the climax of it. God exalted or raised Jesus from the dead. He was speaking to those who didn't believe in the resurrection. So when he's telling him something, they don't believe in. So now their anger scale is about 18 or 19 on that 10-point scale. They're so furious, and they want to kill all the apostles. They want to take their lives right then, the Bible says. They're about to take their life. And on the scene comes a man by the name of Gamaliel, the Bible says, 
one of these 71, they're at a council of the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee. And whenever you hear Pharisee, we usually have a negative uh, frame of mind when we think about him because Jesus often talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. When you look at Matthew 23, that whole chapter is basically about that. But the Pharisees believed in the Bible. They believed in the Old Testament. But they also added to it their oral traditions and their law. They believed in the supernatural. They believed in resurrection. Not Christ's resurrection, but they believed in resurrection. They had their own system. And Gamaliel was one of those guys, and he was part of the Pharisees. He was raised in the school of Hillel instead of Shammai. So Hillel, as a rabbi, was very reasonable. He was a more moderate uh, rabbi of the Pharisees. And their philosophy of school in Hillel was to love God, to love people, even your enemies, is what he's saying to them. So Camille comes on the scene, and let's read what he says in verse 35. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. He's going to give them two illustrations from history in the next two verses. Two illustrations he's going to give them in verse 36 and 37. He goes, in verse 36, some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. Verse 37, after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. So what Galamiel is saying, let's just let this thing go. Let's not kill these guys. Let's not take their life. Because like all the previous movements, when the leader dies, the movement dies, right? That's what he's saying to them. When the leader dies, the movement will die. It'll just die. Just, just let it go. Then he gives them some wisdom in the next two verses. Verse 38 and 39. Listen to what he says. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Over the years, I used the wisdom of Gamaliel in a number of occasions where something was happening that I couldn't explain, and I was wondering if I should fight it or not. And sometimes what you have to do is you have to just take a step back, and if this movement's from men, it's going to fail anyway, so why waste any energy in it, right? It's going to fail anyway. The Bible tells us that it's going to fail. But if it's from God, why try to stop it? Because you can't. If it's from God, it's unstoppable, right? It's unstoppable force. You can't stop it. And if you try to stop it, if it's from God, then you're kind of coming against God, and you're opposing God. And the Scriptures speak strongly against that, doesn't it? it? tells us not to do that. Don't oppose God. Don't go against God. So the religious leaders, they listened to his advice, is what the Bible tells us. The scriptures say they flogged them, which they beat them severely. I mean, severely beat them. And then they told them not to speak again in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So what's going to happen to the story? What's going to happen here? What are the apostles going to do? Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Well, when you think about that, these wounds were so fresh. These weren't wounds you could put little band-aids on. Oh, you're all right now. These were wounds where their backs were bleeding, maybe down the muscle. I mean, it ripped the, the, the skin right off their back. They're bleeding tremendously. They're in a lot of pain. But the Bible says they weren't going out whimpering. They were going out rejoicing. They were filled with joy because it was an honor to be counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. How do you stop something like that? How do you stop them? People that are like that, you're not going to stop us. Beat us, put us in prison, 
threaten us, threaten our lives, we're still preaching the name of Jesus. If you beat us, we're going to praise God. Put us in prison, we're going to praise God. How do you stop that? What are the disciples, what are the apostles going to do? Verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped. Unstoppable. So we get unstoppable. Teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. All that the high priest and Sanhedrin did to him didn't work. All of religion's attempts to stopping God didn't work, right? So now you got the story down. You got the story down here in Acts chapter 5, right? Everybody have it? It's going to be a test on just a little bit, right? No, just kidding, but you got the story down, right? I want to make sure you get the story. The first thing I notice as I'm going through this, as I'm reading it, that I have not suffered for the name of Jesus like these men. How about you? I mean, any of you been put in prison for the name of Jesus? I mean, any of you been beaten for the name of Jesus? Think about that. any of you. I mean, I mean, some of us, you probably have suffered some, right? Maybe ridicule from your family uh, because of Jesus. Maybe they called you like a fanatic, Jesus fanatic or Bible thumper or something like that. But that's as far as about goes for us, right? Might have some family don't like it that we're following Jesus. Maybe they don't talk to us. That's about as far as it goes. Or maybe even at work, you, you're not getting that promotion in your job because you have a different view than your boss or the overseers or your superiors at your, at your workplace. But to be beaten... Think about that. Be beaten for Jesus. We haven't suffered that here. We haven't had that. But it's happening. In India, followers of Jesus are losing their jobs. So they're being beaten. And the families and, and the people are under distress. Stress because of that. And being beaten and put in jail in many times. In Iraq, one of the nations that, that we liberated. Persecution of Christians, they say it's the highest in history. Right now in Afghanistan, here that the Taliban is trying to find the Christians in the, in the city, in the, in the country right now. We need to pray for them. All around the world, according to David Barrett, the World Christian Encyclopedia, it says persecution of Christians at its highest in the world, highest ever has been. And yet we are in this bubble called the United States, aren't we? We live in this bubble. We don't experience any of that. We don't even hear about it, that people are suffering for Jesus. And we're here, and if somebody just ridicules us or makes fun of us because we're a follower of Jesus, we kind of whimper back, oh man, they're making fun of me because I'm a follower of Jesus. We should never feel guilty about not being persecuted like they are around the world. But there have been people in church history who have felt that uh, guilty, and they have gone out to be self-made martyrs because of Christ and did things that they should not have done to bring persecution their way. We don't need to do that. We shouldn't have to do that. And God doesn't want us to do that. I mean, persecution sooner or later will come, but we don't go out and search for it. We don't go looking for it. We need to at least recognize from this passage of Scripture, there are lots of brothers and sisters around the world that don't have a choice today, right? That they're being persecuted. That they're being beaten. They're being thrown in jail. They're losing their jobs and all those things because they're followers of Jesus Christ. So we need to pray for them. We need to pray for their safety and, and pray like the early disciples did in Acts chapter 4 for their boldness. That's what they would want. Not that they would stop sharing it, but for boldness. They would continue to be bold in the name of Jesus. We need to remember them and make sure that we pray for them. The second thing I want you to recognize is, and if you have your outline, hopefully you all have your outline, that where are you in this story? When you look at this story, where are you? And I want to give you some kind of suggestions here. And you have three that I have on your sheet there. The first suggestion is, are you like the religious leaders? You're an unbeliever. You're, you're like them. Uh, where you have your system, maybe you have rituals and, and rules that you live by, but they have no relationship with God. There's no life. There's no supernatural. There's no God. There's no Holy Spirit. 
There may be a church, there may be a cult, there may be a religious system that holds your loyalty that you follow, but it's not offering life. If that's where you are in the story, like the religious leaders, don't stay there because it doesn't have anything to offer you. It's only through Jesus will we find forgiveness of sins. It's only through him will we find eternal life. It's through Jesus. But maybe you're here today and say, you know, I don't have Jesus, but I'm certainly not religious. And I've done some things in my life, you know, that I'm ashamed of, things that I'm not proud of. Well, you need Jesus too. And what I found out through the years, we have people over here that have the religious system that they're so proud of that they don't think that they need Jesus. And we have other people that have done some things they're ashamed of, and they don't think God loves them because of what they've done. And what God has to say to you from the Word of God is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to earth to come and take on the form of a human being. And he went to the cross and died on the cross for your sins because he loves you so much. And all and everyone from both groups, from anyone that comes and recognizes that that Jesus is the son of God, that he's God, that he died on the cross for their sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. When they come and recognize that and say, I know I'm a sinner, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus find forgiveness of sins through Jesus as they trust him as their Savior. And it's all through Jesus Christ that God sent this son, Jesus, dying on the cross so you and I wouldn't have to spend one moment in that story of unbelievers. We wouldn't have to spend one moment as eternity from Jesus. But he came to die so you and I can have that relationship with God the Father through Jesus. It's the only way to get to God the Father is through Jesus. And it's for everyone. Anyone who would come and put their faith and trust in Jesus, who trust him as their Savior. Jesus died for them. And he offers that salvation to anyone and everyone. So if you've never done that, please put your faith in him. Don't stay where you are. Don't stay in that system that also offers no life, no supernatural, no miraculous, none of those things. But it's only through Jesus where we find that. But where are you in the story? Maybe you're those involved in ministry like the apostles. You're, you're a believer in Jesus. And they were out touching people, people who were hungry, people who were dirty. They were touching them. They were providing healing and help and hope for those people. And they were, they were seeing an almighty God doing the miraculous, changing the lives of people, bringing healing, bringing eyesight, bringing strength to legs, bringing life to souls, changing people's life. And it'd be so exciting being part of that group to watch what they're doing. Just think if you were back then and maybe you, one that likes to write down what happened during your day in your journaling. You say, oh, today, a four-year-old boy who could never see they started seeing for the very first time. A nine-year-old girl who, who couldn't hear, started today, could hear, hear her parents' voice. A 40-year-old man who could never walk, he never has walked, now he's jumping up and down praising God. I, I saw many people who were demon-possessed, they were out of control, that the Holy Spirit healed them, and now they have this peace since the, the demons left them. I saw many people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Their lives have been changed. This is the best part of the place, the part of the story to be in right here. To be a believer in Jesus, actively involved in ministry, following Jesus, seeing Jesus do the impossible, changing people's lives. That's where we should want to be in the story. The question is, but where are you in the story? And maybe you're in the story of those not involved in ministry, but you're a believer in Jesus. You say, I, I, I'm a believer, yes. The story of those that they say, I'm a believer, but I'm not really involved. I'm kind of sitting over there in the bleachers. You're enjoying what's going on. You're watching. You're observing. And maybe you're there 
You're at the top row of that bleacher and you're looking down and you're applauding them and you're excited. What's going on? But maybe after a while, they're sitting in the bleachers saying, I need to come down. Maybe you come down one or two seats from the bleachers and you're a little closer to the action. Maybe you even start to know some of the people that are part of that action and you're praying for them. Maybe you're giving to them. And maybe hopefully one day you decide you need to come out of the bleachers. See, you begin to see the, the bleachers are not a bad place to be in, but it's not the best place. It's not the best place to be in. See, if you're in the bleachers, I'm not trying to be critical of you today. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to help you to say there's a better place to be. And many people, they, they, they get in those bleachers and they get out of the bleachers, but they go back in them after days, weeks, or months, or years for all kinds of reasons. They go and they sit in the bleachers on the sidelines watching everyone else in the action serving God. And they do it for, because they're scared, scared to get involved. They're tired. They've been hurt. I said a few weeks ago, who hasn't been hurt by somebody in church, right? We've all been hurt. We can't let that keep us from serving. Maybe we've been overcommitted, whatever it is, but we're there in the bleachers. We're not involved. May I encourage you today, take that next step and get the middle of, in the middle of the action. See, God saved us. He didn't save any of us to stay in the bleachers. He saved us to be part of the action, what is going on. And I ask you, just come to God and say, God, help me to get out of the bleachers. Help me get off the sidelines and get in the game, in the action where God wants us to be. And when we get out of the bleachers, we begin to understand that we're all called to be missionaries, to be on mission for Jesus. Where we might not cast out demons and raise, from, raise people from the dead, but we're called to go and promote Jesus, proclaim his name wherever we go into our middle schools, into our high school, into our colleges, into our workplace, into our neighborhoods, into our families. We're there as missionaries. Our job is not to be, uh, climb corporate ladders or to build an empire. We're there. Our job is to promote Jesus. And God has strategically placed each and every one of us where he wants us to go about the job that he's called us to do, promote Jesus at your workplace in your families, in your community, in your neighborhood, wherever you go, God strategically placed you there so you could be there to promote Jesus. And that's what you're called to do. If God moves you, he's strategically replacing you someone else so you can promote Jesus. And wherever we go, we do a great job where we go, right? We're the best employees. We're the best, hardest workers. Guess who we are? We're good citizens. We want to be the best we can be. We are part of the voting process. We're involved in community affairs and politics. And all those things are good. But wherever we go and whatever we do, we go in the name of Jesus. Amen? Wait a minute. Amen? We go in the name of Jesus, right? That's what we're supposed to do. That's what it means. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what the early church did. As they followed Jesus, they didn't sit on the bleachers. As I said, this is not bad, but it's not the best place to be. It's not where you're going to uh, kind of experience the fullness of God and the blessings of God in your life. It's in the action, middle of the action. When you're stepping outside of your comfort zone and you're following Jesus, and you say, boy, I can't do this. And God said, I know, but I can. That's what we want in our lives, right? Where God takes us right on the edge there and says, I want you to go ahead and take that step and trust me in serving me in whatever opportunities he gives us. I want you to go and share Christ with that mom or that dad or that person or this person. I want you to go show love to that person. I know they're mean to you, but I want you to go show love to that person because that's what Christ followers do. That's what Christ did, right? And that's what we're supposed to do. We're to share and promote the name of Jesus wherever we go. That's our number one priority. 
no matter what anybody does, is this promoting the name of Jesus? So what part of the story are you in today? That's the question. Where, do, where are you? First, let's all become, make sure we're all followers of Jesus Christ. Make sure that we've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've not done that yet, please do that today. And if you have questions, please come and see me because that's the most important thing that you need to accomplish is accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. By simply coming and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, was buried and raised on the third day. And today I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. Please do that today. That's the first step for anybody, for anybody. The second step that you and I would be on mission for Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. That we're actively involved in serving Jesus wherever we go. In our church, whatever we do. We're actively involved in thinking, my job is not about me. My job is to promote him, elevate him. So whatever happens in my day, we have to ask ourselves, am I promoting Jesus? Am I demonstrating Christ-like behavior? Do I have an attitude of Christ? Because that's your job. No matter what anybody does to you, our job is to promote Jesus. That's what the disciples did. Let's just be honest. They had plenty of reason to be upset with people, right? They had plenty of reason to say, I quit. I go out there and I preach, and what happens? I get thrown in jail. God, I expect you to protect me. No, they continue to preach. They thought it was worthy to be thrown in jail. They thought it was worthy to be beaten for the name of Jesus. And we have to be that way too. People say, don't speak in the name of Jesus. We have to continue to speak in the name of Jesus. That's what the apostles did. That's what the early church did. And what happened? Thousands upon thousands came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They were part of a force that was unstoppable. I told you at the beginning of this whole series, we're the only continent in the world where the gospel is not going forth, where you see the church is struggling. We need to reverse that. It's because we're not being bold for Jesus anymore and on mission for him. That's what he's called us. First, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, put your faith and trust in Jesus. Second, let's all be on mission for Jesus. Let's be actively involved in serving him on mission. Amen? Amen? Okay, you're all awake. Let, let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. Lord, we come to you this morning. And we look at this incredible story, and, and I know we like to say, well, that was back then. It was different. No, no. It's much easier to share in the United States than it was back then. For back then, we just shared. We'd wind, they'd wind up in prison or beaten or maybe their lives were taken. So, Lord, help us to realize we live in a country, Lord, it's like a bubble, that we can share the name of Jesus wherever we go, and the worst we're going to say is, oh, they could ridicule us, maybe poke fun of us, maybe reject us. But that's as far as it goes. So we have so much freedom and liberty here that we can share the name of Jesus anywhere and everywhere we go. God, you've placed us in a country where we're so blessed in this freedom that we have. But the freedom that we have, we don't take advantage of. We don't use it to further the name of Jesus. We listen to our culture that tells us you can't talk about uh, religion. You can't talk about Christ in a public setting. You can't tell people about Jesus. People get upset. When we look at the early church, they talked about Christ when they were told not to, when people threatened their lives to put them in jail and to beat them, and they continued to preach in the name of Jesus, to tell about the new life that is found in Christ. Lord, we need to start to think of, if we don't do it, who will? If we don't share with others about this new life in Jesus, proclaim his name in the United States and Rochelle and the surrounding areas, who will do it? Lord, help us to have your passion. love for people. 
Help us to take a stand maybe today. We come and we say, God, I'm going to take that stand today. And I'm going to say, God, today, today, I haven't done it in the past. Maybe I've never shared Christ with anyone. But today's the day I'm going to make a difference. Today's the day I'm going to make that commitment. God, I'm going to pray for boldness. And I'm going to look for those opportunities to share Christ no matter what, no matter who's around, no matter what else is going on. If you point me in that direction, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be committed to do it. And I'm going to share it in love. I'm going to share it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if they get saved, they're not as after me, but I'm going to share it with them. I'm going to give you the opportunity to just to, them to come to understand who Jesus is and what he did for them upon the cross. Lord, so we come to you today, Lord, and bend in knee and, and just in humility. They say, God, maybe we haven't lived like we should be living. And we confess that sin. And we start thinking, Lord, where am I in this story? Where am I? Am I really serving you or is it just a game? Or am I just saying I'm a follower of Jesus, but I have nothing to show for it? I have no fruit. Help us to live the life you called us to live, that abundant life, that exciting life. When we put in our journals or we write it down here, man, I saw God do incredible things today. I saw him use me incredibly to impact people, to change people's lives. That's the life God wants us to have. And I pray that for each and every one of us, myself included. Help us, Lord, to rise up. Help us to be bold for Jesus. Help us to put that fire in our stomach like the early, like the apostles in the early church. But they were an unstoppable force because, Lord, they trusted the Holy Spirit. They yielded him in all areas. And they lived for him. Help us to be that way. Help us to take that stand today for you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it through your power and your might. Guide us and lead us, Lord. We love you and praise you. We love you. We get these stories, Lord. To take it seriously, where am I? And all of us ask that honest question. Lord, we love you, we praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.